Heavenly Father, as I offer these words this morning, I beseech you to see before you a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, and a sinner of your own redeeming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From our gospel lesson this morning, Simeon proclaims, My eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. It has taken place in the midst of the people, and it is a light of revelation. My eyes have seen your salvation. One of the most amazing grotesque, morbid, and even macabre crucifixion paintings ever, ever, (laughs) dates from the Middle Ages and is called the Eisenheim Altarpiece, or sometimes it's known as the Grunwald Triptych. It's painted by Matthias Grunwald for the monks who served in the Eisenheim Hospital at the time, the monks of St. Anthony, who in that time devoted themselves to the poorest of the poor and the most desperate cases of middle age illness and epidemic cruelty. The art, the painting of Jesus, is not meant for the healthy. It is meant for the diseased for the pockmarked, those with sores, and for the dying. The art has an intentional purpose of mirroring for the viewer in Christ's suffering their own suffering. Christ literally in the art takes on the suffering of the patients at the hospital. It is a means to say to a patient, Christ's body is with you. Christ's body is for you. My eyes have seen your salvation. We see in this and in other art of Christ on the cross, as it is revealed culturally around the world, the same kind of thing. For instance, we might Consider Ronnie Harrison's uh, crucifixion from South Africa, which is different than Antonio Bernie's from Argentina, than Mark Chagall's from Belarus, from Wu Li's from China. The art of Christ and God is manifest for the viewer, God's body, God's presence in the world. For those who look upon the Christ in those crucifixion paintings, they see a Christ who has come for them, or perhaps more shockingly, they see a Christ presented to them as Christ with them, a Christ that looks like them, who is portrayed as one of them. My eyes have seen your salvation, and it comes in the midst of the people, and it is a light of revelation. Such art reveals a deep theological truth, I think. That God is in the world. God intervenes in the world. God lives with and among us. And we might easily remember 
our shared narrative that God sat under the oak tree in Mamre with Abraham, or God wrestled with Jacob at Penuel. God came in a cloud in the day and by a pillar of fire by night for those freed from Egypt. That God walked on the mountain with Moses and raised the son of Zarephath with a prophet and rested his feet on the, in the temple in Jerusalem. That God walked with Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego in the fiery furnace, one of my favorite stories, and sat with Job on his dung heap. God entered the world in Jesus, becoming lower than the angels, met a woman at the well and meets us on the cross at Golgotha. God was then present at the Ethiopian eunuch's baptism and the centurion's dream, the merchant of purple's home, and visited the court of Athens. God intervenes in God's creation for and with God's creatures, walks and talks with us from the garden to this desert to the Sea of Galilee, and even today, God is present in our midst. The narrative of Scripture is one that reveals the primary character and actor as God in the midst of our world. And in the person of Jesus Christ, who is unique and complex and unified, indivisibly seen as part of God's action in the world, as God acting in the world. This is a, is a radical God for us, made possible by a God who comes and is with us. As Sam Wells, a practical theologian and rector of St. Martin's in the field, London likes to say, Scripture reveals a God with us, and only that God with us makes possible the God for us. God did not come in Christ Jesus so that we might uh, be saved at some later date. It's not like Jesus provided for us a kind of spiritual savings account to be enacted at a later point in time, but rather instead that Jesus comes as a very real human being in a very real world, participates in the life of his people by doing so, manifesting the reality that the world is to be different than it is presently. We are given an understanding that the world of earth and soil and people and culture is that place from whence comes the revelation Jesus is very much a part of this, and we see him uniquely presented in the temple as part of his own cultural identity. And yet he was, as columnist David Brooks writes, born, though born into a tight collective of religious people, Jesus is uncategorizable because he is for all people. Jesus in the complex world of ritual requirement of occupation by a foreign power, by principalities and corruption, comes in the midst of that place in time and gives access to God. He is directly connecting the poor and the downtrodden and the outcast and the divine, the normal human people beyond all social norms, beyond all structures and domestic constructions. He in himself, in his very body, gives access to the divine. In him we see ourselves, we find our pains, our sorrows, our stumbling blocks, our troubles, our strife. In him we see, we see him, 
taking upon these for us. This is not an act of projection, but one of attraction. In which Jesus says in that poetic way from Scripture, though repeated in our right one service in the Episcopal Church, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. My burden is light. The church, in the language of theologian Hans Fry, the church is the sum of those who live a life then of devotion to this God. Who live a life with others doing and enacting the same thing. Specifically through proclaimed word and sacraments, we reveal and access directly to God. And through the hands-on mission work of evangelism and service, people in the world discover God's presence with them such that they might say, our eyes have seen your salvation. The church has a way of circumventing, like Jesus, the expectations and norms of powers and principalities of social structures and allegiances. The church has a terrible way of giving away freely grace and love and forgiveness to the broken of the world, even to those who don't believe they have deserved it. The church echoes the words of God, you are my beloved. You are loved. No matter what road you are on or where you have come from, the church offers in its body that truth. You are loved. Such that what is essential here in the very best theological sense and revealed through Scripture is to understand that what the church does as it does its work is to find in the world a Christ at work there and to join God there and pointing out God and revealing it and retelling a living narrative where God is the primary actor. And it says, as it says in the letter of Hebrews, sacrifice of praise and fruit of lips is good, but it's always better when you share what you have and you do good works. Or when Jesus is asked about this, he says it is a lot better to give to those who cannot repay you. Forgiving to those who can is easy, but you are called to something harder. The church is not the sum of people who call themselves Christians, you see. The church is the sum of people who do these things, who appear as indivisible from the body of Christ and from God. Rather than presenting ourselves in church, the church is invited to present itself in the world. Christ's body in the world, such that when people see the church out there, they proclaim, as Simeon did, my eyes have seen your salvation. Church, you see, is a kind of work of art. It is at once the body of Christ and icon of God for people, but it is also everywhere and always at its best, when it lives with and among the people and reflects 
their own suffering, pains, sorrows, and trouble. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.